Funding for the Hinckley Report and this podcast is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund and AARP Utah. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. Additional support comes from State Street, produced by KUER. Hosts Sonia Hudson and Emily Means take a fresh look at politics the Utah way. Get episodes wherever you listen to podcasts or at statestreetpod.org. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Brian Schott, political correspondent for the Salt Lake Tribune, Emily Means, political reporter for KUER, and Frank Pignanelli, political commentator and lobbyist with Foxley and Pignanelli. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, the first week of the legislative session and so much has happened. I wanna to get to the first big thing uh, that they addressed starting, starting on Tuesday. And Frank, let's start with you some context. Uh, the question is whether or not the legislature would get after masks. We have some places that have a mask mandate into effect. We saw it in Salt Lake County in particular, uh, but they went at that one immediately. Senate Joint Resolution 3. Give us some context for that and what that resolution did. Well, what that resolution did is it was to overturn the mask mandate that Sully County had imposed and been supported by the mayor and by one vote of the Sully County Council. And the minute that happened, those of us watching said, we knew the legislature was going to deal with it. And of course they did that. The Senate immediately passed a resolution on the first day and sent it over to the House. So we could talk about what happened after that. But that, everyone is watching that, they're concerned about that on both sides of the issue. And this is a true, there's never been a true indicator of the legislative process. We have a true representative democracy. What's happening in the legislature is a reflection of what's happening out on the streets. People are on either side of this issue, and that's mm -hmm. what's happening. They're hearing from their constituents on both sides, but there's a couple dynamics going on. Number one, they are, they're, as Brian will point out, and others have pointed out, they're getting emails, three to one, yeah. saying, please remove the mask mandate. And as anyone who's engaged in discussions with masks, I think we all have, you've got people on the other side of this. But the other thing that people forget is that there's this is an election year, yeah. and you've got people with extreme positions on either side, and if you're a Republican, you're facing a convention or delegate d discussion mm -hmm. in a couple months, and they know that, and they're responding to that. So it's easy to throw things at the legislature, but if you look at a political sense, they're responding to what they're hearing, uh -huh. and that's what really makes a great representative democracy. Now, you may not like what's happening there, but they are feeling the pressure from their constituents. Uh -huh. I want to get to that pressure point on the House in just a second with you, Brian, but Emily, maybe talk about this for a second. It started in the Senate, mm -hmm. uh, stalled, it hasn't got through the House yet, but, but what do you make of the fact that the legislature's taken this on and this doesn't even require the governor to weigh in or anyone else? Exactly, wow, this was um, shocking. It was a doozy of <laughs> even just the first day of the legislature. What the Senate has done is bypass the typical legislative process. You know, things typically go to a committee where they can be thoroughly vetted and then the public can give input, right? And the Senate was just like, like, no, we, we need to act on this immediately. Um, so I thought that was really quite shocking. And like you mentioned, because this is a joint resolution, the governor doesn't need to approve this. If the House approves this, it's done. Summit County and Salt Lake County's mask mandates will be overturned. And um, I was really interested to hear Salt Lake County leadership's comments on this. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Angela Dunn, uh, former state epidemiologist, now Salt Lake County's health director, was, said, wow, I have never seen 
seen government move this fast. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, in her words, it's in the wrong direction for the health and safety of, of Salt Lake County residents. Mm -hmm. uh, Brian, of course, after this vote occurred in the Senate, uh, it, got, it got sent to the House, and people were speculating that it may happen right away. They did not take a vote right away. Talk to us about what's happening behind the scenes in the House. Well, uh, the sense that I got is that the um, the members of the House, they were discussing amongst themselves. They they wanted to see what the, the 10 Republicans in Salt Lake County wanted to do with this, uh, because they're the ones who would be facing electoral backlash. Most of them are in really safe seats. There are about four of them who are kind of in swingy areas, so they have to look at the political ram ramifications of this. Uh, so the Senate move surprised them uh, because it came so quickly. So they've been trying to figure out what to do. Um, as I reported on Friday morning, uh, the House uh, it, it is going to, or the House is going to dis discuss this, and we could be uh, having a, a res resolution very, very quick quickly. But um, you know, the, the problem is they they're looking at those four members of the House who have a really tough vote and, and, and they feel like they've been put in a no-win situation. Well, it's just such an interesting point. Of course, uh, they picked up a House sponsor uh, over the last couple of days in Candace Perucci. But, but Frank, will you comment on what, what Brian just said, too, because you alluded to it in your opening comment here, too, is, uh, and you're a former elected official, so put this in context. This is a big vote uh, in the House, and some of these members of the House are facing, they are up for election. How do, how do, they, how do they do this calculus in their minds? How are they deciding how they're going to vote on this if it does happen today? Uh, this, is, this is one of those rare issues where every single human has an opinion and they do they, they they want the mask they don't want the mask they're confused by CDC they want to do this or that and so when you are especially if you're a member of the House of Representatives and you are facing election you could be facing someone from the left or from the right coming at you that's the calculus yeah. and when and when you see three to one emails if you're a Republican or three to one on the other yeah. side they say okay what do I need to do how do I address this and so that's the calculus you know I know a lot of them may say that they don't care about reelection but they don't want to have to face this issue because they know that a big chunk, whatever you do, is not going to like what you, what you have done. So the calculus is, how do I get through this? They also know this, maybe in a couple of weeks, this all goes away. Yeah. And it probably goes away for most people. But people on on either side are going to remember the, yes. where you were. That's also part of the calculation too. Yeah, the mandate may leave, but the vote remains. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> if I could just add one more thing, just to give a little bit more insight on what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, what this resolution does is um, basically strip away county's ability to respond to the pandemic. And this is something that the legislature said: yes, we want yeah. you to do this. We want you as local government to make this decision. Of course, the legislature also gave themselves the ability to overturn that. But uh, another thing that's going on behind the scenes is um, county officials are kind of, you know, getting together and saying, wow, this is really impeding upon our local control. So it's my understanding there are some conversations going on mm -hmm. with the Utah Association of Counties. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, they're a, they're a formidable lobbying organization. So I'm sure they're involved in the conversation. Yeah, as great, well. great points. Brian, go ahead. Uh, Frank brought up the fact that there are e emails out there and they're flooding the inboxes. Um, I took a look at where some of these are coming from, and it's really quite alarming who some of these or where, where some of these emails are coming from or where some of the campaigns are coming from. They're coming from these far right groups on a secure me messaging app called Te Te Telegram, um, and they're they are coordinating their members to send mass emails to 
vote to overturn the mask mandate. But also, right along next to these uh, calls to send those emails, you will see stories or posts about how uh, the Utah League of C Cities and Towns is actually an arm of the United Nations, and they are intending to put everybody in the state into a camp. Um, you will see uh, lots of talk about how the vaccines are going to kill everybody the moment we turn on 5G towers. It's these really conspiratorial groups who are out there sending hundreds, if not thousands, of emails. And if you're a lawmaker who's just counting the number of emails that come in and you have no idea where they're coming from, well, you're getting swayed by these groups that are frankly not really in touch with re reality. Mm -hmm. Brian is really brave to be wading into these um, to these areas of the internet. I, I will commend you for that. Um, but I just wanted to say something about public comment. It's interesting to me um, how the legislature decides who to listen to, mm -hmm. because um, you know we've seen this over the past few years with state leaders um, discounting certain certain people if you know what they have to say doesn't align with mm -hmm. what the legislature already wanted to do, right? So we saw that with the ballot initiatives uh, and the legislature tweaking those or you know changing them completely. Um, so I think they kind of have selective hearing mm -hmm. on some of these issues. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna impose. Okay, 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 let's hear it. This is my. 35th session, and I'm just going to say this with all due respect. I'm a lobbyist. I love to lobby. Yes, I represent a bunch of interests. When I walk into a room, that legislator asks, who's Frank representing today? Mm -hmm. But when a citizen walks or calls or contacts that legislator, that person is viewed as pure. A well-organized citizen initiative on any issue, whether it's the environment or whatever it is, will always beat a corporate interest, and thank goodness. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the good things about the legislature is they are listening to people. You may not like what they're saying, but they're very responsive to what their constituents have to say. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a question about this response? I've been thinking about uh, sort of the editorials this week, and both papers had some some pretty harsh words. I mean, they were direct uh, in a way you haven't seen. I mean, I'm, I'm curious what you all have to, to say about this is because we spent uh, we spent a good amount of time on our show last week talking about you know who's in charge and we had we had a, a good debate about that. But but this week it seems to be who's to blame <laughs> a little bit. Emily, is that the same uh, uh. same kind of analysis? You know, <laughs> I mean, how does that play out? Does that help us see who might be in charge by we see who's kind of catching the blame this week? Oh man. Well, I mean, I think people want answers. We've been uh, undergoing this pandemic for more than two years, coming up on two years yeah. now, and people are tired of it. But, you know, the response has changed over these past two years. And right now we're in the middle of a huge spike in cases. And what is the response? You know, and I, I guess I'll just add, uh, you know, I talked to House Speaker Brad Wilson in the run up to the to the legislative session, and I asked him, how is the legislature working to end the pandemic. And he kind of laughed, he brushed it off and he was like, what are we supposed to do about a global pandemic? And I think that's a fair point, but the legislature has a ton of power in the mm -hmm. state of Utah. And you can look at multiple pieces of legislation, the pandemic endgame bill, um, what we're seeing now with uh, SJR3 and undoing the mask mandates. Those are legislative actions that um, arguably have um, you know, hindered our ability to respond to the pandemic. So I do think that the legislature has some responsibility. I'm not saying they're to blame, but they have 
they have power and they can use it in, mm -hmm. in this instance. Mm -hmm. uh, Brian, one of the ways uh, that Emily was just alluding to uh, is a piece of legislation from uh, Senator Todd Weiler. This is SB 113, which essentially ends the, the test to stay program, but puts other protocols in place, a process from our legislature about what, what can happen once a, a school inside a school district hits that 2% threshold. Do you, can you talk about that just a little bit? Well, um, it's it's at, SB 113 is exactly the same as HB 183 from Representative Jordan Tusher. Uh, HB 183 is going to be the bill that goes for, forward. They got their wires crossed. Um, and so those bills were introduced about the same time. The Senate couldn't pass theirs before the House passed theirs through. So it's Senate Bill 183. What it does is it, it, put, it, it pauses the test to stay because we don't have enough tests and it's an unwieldy process and Omicron is uh, just causing all sorts of havoc. So it pauses that. Um, you, it can be re-implemented uh, if there is agreement among legislative leaders and the governor and the state health department. The other thing that it does is schools can go remote uh, because of an outbreak, but uh, is a long process in the fact that the school has to request to go remote, then the school board has to have a public meeting in which they take a vote. They don't have to take comment, but they have to take a pub public vote. Mm -hmm. uh, if they get through all of that, then uh, they have to get sign off from not only the state board of uh, 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 the state super, super superintendent, but the governor, the speaker of the house and the president of the Senate. So there it, it, it's a consolidation of what the schools do or the power of the schools into the executive and the le legislative branch, right? So you've got the Speaker of the House and you've got the President of the Senate, uh, and, and, and this is really unprecedented where they get to decide what happens with local school districts in how they respond to the pandemic. Can they go remote? Well, you have to ask for permission. It's this really arduous process. It's not really the best way if you need to respond quick, 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 quickly to, to something. Mm -hmm. Frank, any comments on that? Yeah, what they're hearing from, they're hearing from parents that are very frustrated. They're hearing from teachers very frustrated. I've heard these stories about these, they have these kids or these students in the, the auditorium, they're testing them and they're running out of tests. And so the system that was in place worked well for Delta. It's not working for Omicron. And then they're hearing from both national experts and local experts that remote learning is not working. It's putting students behind. So again, it's the legislature responding saying, we're, we're, we don't think remote learning is going to work, and we only want to put it in the most in the most extreme circumstances. Therefore, they've created this kind of superstructure of when they do it. So again, and I've talked to a number of people who've contacted their, and it's in Salt Lake City, it's in Uwinter County, you name it. They've said uh, we don't like remote learning, and we want to make it mm -hmm. as, as hard as possible to get to that unless it's the most dire circumstances. So it's a reaction to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, any other bills you all are watching? You think we're going to see some some fireworks or otherwise in the next couple of days, the next week? Oh. Emily. Uh, put me on the spot there, Jason. Um, well, this is only the end of the first week of the session. Uh, one thing that I'm looking for, um, and I'm looking for it because it was in the House Majority's priorities, uh, is this year's bill about the Inland Port. Every yeah. single yeah. year there is a bill tweaking the Inland Port Authority in some way or another. Um, this year, House Speaker Brad Wilson says he wants to um, kind of change the makeup of the, of the Port Authority board, um, maybe to include 
more industry representatives or more representatives from other parts of the state. So I am really interested to see how that impacts uh, representation for Salt Lake City mm -hmm. and Salt Lake County and yeah. areas uh, that are directly impacted by the port. Yeah, this one that had a lot of airtime for a while, so yeah. we're going to get that again. That's a great one. How about you, Brian? What are we about to see? Um, you know, it's it, it's it's going to calm down. I don't think the legislature is going to be as exciting as uh, it's been the last week in terms of all the all the backroom intrigue. There will still be a lot of that, but it's mostly going to be over tax cuts. You know, the le le lawmakers are really uh, targeting some tax cuts. It's an election year. They've already put aside 160 million dollars for tax cuts. The governor has said that he wants to do uh, a food tax credit. That's not going to happen. Um, they've already decided that they're going to do an income tax rate cut uh, because they've done some targeted stuff in the past few years. Um, so I, I would expect them to uh, uh, do that. How, how low is it going to go? Um, we, we could see tax cuts of 250 million, 275 million. The 100, 160 is just a starting point. So it, 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 it could go up. Uh, these are very interesting points. It, it leads to something interesting, uh, Frank, because you have a great article coming out this weekend uh, talking about this, this very interesting thing happening with our legislature. They, they call it the policy pillars. Uh, and uh, you know, I look forward to read, reading your article. Talk about this because we've all alluded to some big policy issues the legislature has taken on, but it's, it's almost a little bit of a different view and role that we've seen the legislature take in the past. Absolutely, as I commented, this is my 35th session. I've never seen anything like this. So last week, the House majority Majority Caucus produces this, these five policy pillars and mm -hmm. five statements of things they want to accomplish, and that's been done before. But then they had this document, and you know, as you point out, Emily, it's a very pretty document, but it's a very substantive document, yeah. and it provides all the different ways that the that the, the, the House Majority Caucus, I believe, has the support of the Senate Majority Caucus. They want to accomplish everything from the Great Salt Lake yeah. to air to lifestyle to housing to transportation, and it's remarkable for a couple reasons. Number one. It's usually the governor that, and, he, and the governor came out with a really nice document back in December, but the legislature usually responds. But, you know, we have a very strong legislature, and they planted the flag saying, this is our vision. The second thing, and I respect our courage on this, they, this accountabilities, they, and this is the thing to watch during the session. They've laid out all these different programs they want to accomplish, yeah. and we'll watch and see how, they get that, how, how that is accomplished. The third thing <laughs> is, is that it is really, and I think people should take heart in this. This document is it's, it's not partisan at all, and it's they're not taking shots at anything, but it really shows a reflection of we're growing up as a state. We need to get a handle on all these different issues. This is how we want to solve these problems. I thought it was refreshing and brilliant. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Emily, yeah, if I don't want to rain on your parade, Frank, and I don't <laughs> want to rain on the House Majority's parade either, but um, this is being pitched as the Utah way forward. It's supposed to be a forward-looking, document, right? But some of the issues like affordable housing, air quality, water conservation, we're like decades maybe not decades, a decade past when we should have been responding to these things. So um, I do think it's really important to look at how we can make improvements going forward, how we can grow in a, in a productive manner. But uh, some of these issues, I do feel like uh, the legislature and the state is just a little bit behind on. Mm -hmm. These are some pretty big issues, Brian. Uh, they're in this in this policy, these policy pillars document. And it is interesting. I'm curious what you think about Frank's comment too, that um, this is the kind of thing sometimes you see from a 
the governor's office or someone that's charged with this. It is a little unique to see that it's this is glossy, beautiful document paving the way. Of course, uh, uh, to talk about why the, why we see the House and legislature leading out in this particular way, and maybe a comment too, because once you do this, of course, people start uh, you know trying to ask you how you're doing on them also. <laughs> Well, here in the state, you know, we're supposed to have three equal branches of government, but the legislature sees themselves as number one among equals. So uh, I'm not surprised that they are trying to set the agenda. Uh, you've got a governor who's in his first term. It's only his second year in office. He only got the Republican no nomination with the 36% of the vote. He doesn't have much of a mandate. He doesn't have a lot of political cap capital to spend. So, of course, you're going to see... Brad Wilson and, and and Stuart Adams, who have been in their positions for a while and have co consolidated their body, the power uh, uh, of uh, of their their, their membership, um, so they are much they have much more political capital to spend. So I'm not surprised that you're seeing these sort of things. These are some big swings, and uh, we'll see if they're able to get there. Uh, it's 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 going to be tough. Um, you know, I, I, I speak, Speaker Wilson has been talking a lot about the Great Salt Lake. It's, uh, uh, he's really gotten into that over the last year. Um, and uh, it, we'll, we'll see if, if, the, if they can land some of these things. Um, you know, and, and basically they're, they're driving the car and the governor's office is gonna have to get, get in and come, come along because they're really not holding the map either. So. Uh, so let's talk about how they're coming along or not, or the governor is, to use Brian's words, because it's, it, it's interesting to see that these two dynamics at play, particularly last night, Frank, with the governor's state of the state address. He's there with his former colleagues. He's talking about his policies. And oddly enough, some of the same things he mentioned are the same things in this policy pillar document. I know that some people, I mean, he was, uh, he didn't really refer to a lot of the points and programs he mentioned in December. What I thought was interesting about his speech is that he's a new governor and he's looking at the landscape of both the state and the country and he sees here in his own state all this divisiveness over the masks and things yeah. like that and he sees all this battle happening in Washington. What I liked what he was doing was more of an ethereal 30,000 foot, which is this is a great state, this is a great country, there's things we need to do. He outreached a lot of different diverse groups and things like that. So to me, he used his time, his 25 minutes, whatever, to say, please, let's come together. Mm -hmm. And while it might have been short of some of the details of his programs, in my, in my opinion, he, he fulfilled his responsibility of saying, this, uh, please help us. We got a great program. We got some great programs. This is a good place to live. Please respect the Constitution, respect the, the elections, and respect the process. And, and we can all do this together. I thought it was a heartwarming speech that needed to be made by the chief executive of our state. Mm -hmm. Uh, Emily, key takeaways from that speech. What, what I heard was exactly what was in uh, the House Majority's pillars. <laughs> like, talk about housing affordability, being able to grow smartly, talk about infrastructure, um, things like that. So I think Brian is exactly right, that the legislature is driving the car and the governor is just like, okay, well, I better get on board with this. But I also heard the exact same thing from the Democratic response. Mm -hmm. um, those same points about housing affordability, infrastructure, and education, that was another big one. Mm -hmm. So it seems like everyone is kind of on board with these goals. Um, the question is, is how, how do we go about achieving them? Uh -huh. Brian, can you give us, like you always do, the behind the scenes view a little bit too? Because you know maybe if you say there, uh, there's maybe some general agreement about some of these big policy issues for the state of Utah, uh, this tension between the, the executive branch, the governor and the legislature doesn't seem to be going away very quickly. Well, it's, it's not so much tension. I mean, um, you're not going to see the governor pick too many fights 
with the the, the 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 legislature when he first came into office his very first budget recommendation just happened to look almost exactly like what the legislature one wanted to do there's a pretty good reason why that happened this year's budget really the only major uh, uh, thing that he did d different uh, was proposing the food tax credit rather than an income tax cut um, you know everything else pretty much aligned with what the Republican majority in the legislature one wanted to do that's because they talk about this sort of thing it's gonna be really you're you're, you're not gonna see Governor Cox picked too many fights with the leg legislature. He, he, you know, uh, and, and and there are people who think he should, you know, go back to to redistricting. Why did he veto the maps if if he didn't like them? Well, because it was a fight he was going to lose, and it was a needless fight to pick. You know, he's going to have to pick his spots. If he's going to try to stand up to them, uh, he's going to have to be a hundred percent sure that he's going to win. Otherwise, that will weak weaken him in the eyes of the 104 members of the, the legislature, and then they're just gonna start to roll over him. So, you know, he's he's not gonna test them unless he really has to. Uh -huh. uh, Frank, that's one thing people don't really realize is that there is a lot of coordination uh, between these office, offices during the session, but particularly when you get to the end of the session. There is a lot of coordination, and, and those of us, you know, in the chattering class love to talk about all the disagreements and things like that, but there is a lot of coordination. They actually meet on a regular basis and, and, and then obviously come up with and finalize the budget. That's why we've never seen a budget vetoed and things like mm -hmm. that. But what is refreshing, though, what you have, a, it's almost like a little bit of a competition because you have the governor was out there in front of the Great Salt Lake. You had the speaker that had a big uh, get-together there a couple weeks after that. So it's a little bit, we have all these people who want to solve these problems. And what's refreshing, this is a, this is a conservative state. And so you have a governor that's being very active and you have a legislature that's being very proactive. And I have to tell you, it's easy to dismiss all this, but the discussions that are happening are how do we solve these different air quality problems or water issues and things like that. I was worried this last summer, it was a hot, dry summer and boy everyone's moving in trying trying to how do we deal with this and using the federal funds in an appropriate manner and one of the great things that's being discussed is we don't want to happen in california happening here when i when i first started serving the legislature it was a, how do we get rid of water out of the salt lake that's, yes, that's right that's but right. now it's putting it back in so to me i see a real conscious effort and by all branches of government to try to solve these problems and it's i am really enthusiastic about that mm -hmm. emily in our last 30 seconds um it's, it's sort of a thing you brought up a little bit too. Uh, some of these big issues, it seems like you have not just the, all the branches of government sort of rowing together, but we also see the other side of the aisle in the state of Utah, the Democrats uh, in our legislature kind of on board with several of these things, even maybe to the degree is it the difference. Right. I was kind of surprised, honestly, with their response to the governor. Not that they agreed with him on things, but that they didn't disagree with him on more things and that they didn't make um, more of a statement about how things are going in the state. Because, you know, with a supermajority Republican legislature, there's not a lot Democrats can do. One thing they can do is speak out, be loud, and um, you know, make a fuss about some things that they see are not going the way they should be. Okay. Thank you for your insights this evening. We've run out of time. This is going to be a very interesting next couple of weeks with our legislature. Thanks for the insights this evening. Thank you for listening to the Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.